speaking of shows, welcome to our show. Welcome to our show. Uh, I feel like if I cut out all the intro, we start with that. It's going to sound really weird, so you're either <laughs> going to get a really weird long intro before this, or a really weird intro right now. Yeah, this is uh, <laughs> the first episode of season two of... Jeez. What is our what is our podcast called? <laughs> I'm like, did you forget the name of the show we're watching or the name of our show? Because the name of our show you're allowed to forget. We haven't recorded in like what two weeks almost. We both apparently have a life outside of the show and are each other. So, um, God but no, this is Avatar: The Last Podcast. You are listening. Avatar: to The Last Podcast. The last. The last podcast. Jeez, <laughs> um, yes. how did I forget that? It's so close to the name of the show. <laughs> I know it's not even a good title. It's like literally the most like low effort title we could have come up with. I guess it has. I guess it's been been two weeks. Got the rust. Got a bit there of we rust. go. We, we, we took a we interseason break. Us. Yeah, yeah. It was nice that our break timed up nicely with the season breakage. Or, sorry, as I've been corrected twice at work today by coworkers, the book. Ah, yes, yes. Because we are officially into book two, Earth. Book two, and today we'll, Earth. And today we'll be discussing episodes one and two of that book. Mm-hmm. Uh. Would you like to jump in and give us the summary of uh, Boy, episode one? would I. Or chapter one, I guess, <laughs> if we're really going to be picky. So, uh, we're in book two, Earth, chapter one. Oh, God, we're going to those guys, aren't we? <laughs> the Avatar State. Oops, had a hiccup. After <laughs> leaving the North Pole, Aang and the group travel to an Earth Kingdom military base to receive an escort to Omashu so Aang can learn earthbending from King Bumi. The general there reveals a surprising plan, suggesting that Aang trigger the Avatar state to defeat the Fire Lord immediately. Meanwhile, Zuko's sister, Princess Azula, claims that the Fire Lord will pardon both him and Iroh if they return home with her. Pretty, you know, that's a good summary because it doesn't really give anything away. I feel like the actual climax of this episode is so heavily different from what the setup alludes to yeah like i think i don't think anyone watched this episode and gets to the point we'll eventually speak about which is azula saying you've been pardoned come home and go oh clearly that's what's gonna happen i believe the fire lord immediately yeah i mean i got i got stuff to say about that but why don't we start at the beginning (laughs) where we have well we open right up with a sort of a weird dream slash vision sequence of Aang's, mm-hmm. uh just all of his moments in the avatar state and it seems not so much that they're a part of him more that they're attacking him and it's almost like he's putting himself in the shoes of those who are harmed whether it be like wiping out a nation and i could believe maybe some people didn't survive those attacks to mm-hmm. some of the more lighthearted ones like when he attacks uh when he fights back against zuko in the first episode He's yeah. putting himself in the position of the people who are suffering due to the Avatar state. The, the un, the, though they are the enemy, those who are punished or in pain or damaged by. Yeah, I think that's one way uh, to see it. I think that's why Aang is sort of reluctant, as we see to later on in the episode. I think what also might be happening is a bit of an othering, in the sense that Aang doesn't see the Avatar state necessarily as an extension of himself, even though obviously it is. Mm. I think he still sees it as more of this sort of, not monster, but this this force that takes over him, and it's not him. It's more like what we learn later on in this episode. It's his past lives sort of coming in 
And so, in a way, it's sort of not him, but it is, but also No, not. but it is interesting. You're right. It's, it's, a, it's a loss of self. It's, it's mm-hmm. giving yourself up to a greater force that he is a part of, but isn't entirely himself. Yeah. So, the, as you put it, the othering does make sense on paper. And I think ultimately, like, I, I guess what they kind of try to allude to in this episode is that the Avatar state is a great tool that he could one day harness but not yet, and right now it is a defense mechanism and has its own dangers. Yeah, and of course this is happening This is happening before Aang really learns exactly what the Avatar state is. At this point in the episode, yeah. he, he knows it exists, he knows what it, what it can do, he doesn't know how to bring it about, and he doesn't exactly know where it comes from. So I think there's still a bit of unknown, and thus mm-hmm. a bit of uh, a bit of hesitance or a bit of a bit of apprehension towards it, towards that part of him, because he is generally a pacifist. He is generally not that type of person to to cause that destruction. But it yeah. yet it's like intrinsically think, a part of him. Yeah, like we know that ultimately he will have to step into a fight with Fire Lord, and that will be him not defending himself, but going in with the goal of winning, which is tends to not be his style. Most mm. of the fights Aang has gotten into has been someone has aggressed him and he is the defensive one. He has never really launched the attack ever. And even in the idea of the Fire Lord fight, yes, we can assume the Fire Lord will probably aggress a little bit and pull a bit of aggro. Mm-hmm. It won't be a, okay, let me just defend and get away. This is the, I have to end this fight as the victor. What that entails, that's what we're going to find out but it still means he has to actively fight something. So this being the first time he's being told, hey, let's make you the lead weapon in our army. I think he, the, the, the general who whose name I've already lost. General Fong. You and the names, man. I love this. Uh, yeah. yeah. I believe, like, Fong even says, you will be our secret weapon. You will be the leader of our attack. He makes a lot of very aggressive terms to weaponize Aang. Yes, yeah. Um, he thinks, why wait? There's no need to, you know, master the rest of the elements. Just with the power that Aang has in the Avatar state, he's ready. He can do it. And in a way, I'd say he, he's sort of right, but he's assuming, he, or he's making the assumption that the Avatar state is controllable at this point, mm-hmm. that Aang is sort of ready to control it and to have mastery over it, and he isn't. So, yes, if Aang was in the Avatar state against the Fire Lord, probably could beat him, but... Oh, yes, I would believe that as well. It, I think it's not... You know, obviously, General Fong being a war general, I think maybe he's looking in terms of tactics, he's le- looking in terms of sheer power, force, uh, strength. And at the same time, I think he's also looking and seeing that his men are dying and getting severely injured on a daily basis. And I think he's ready to just, here comes this, what he thinks is a secret weapon dropping right into his lap. Mm-hmm. And so I get the show doesn't make him out to be a very sympathetic character, but I do understand his almost desperation to, to bring this about in Aang and to use it. Yeah, I mean, we see it when he play. And I mean, I think even the way they play him up in the episode in this moment is they make him feel like, it feels like he's like, trying to deceive Aang almost, but what he does essentially is, 
look at these soldiers who are suffering because of this war that you could end. And there's also the soldiers who aren't coming back, ones who have clearly died due to this war, and this is happening every day. You could stop this. Yeah. And uh, yeah. It's, 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 it's a very valid point. If I were in charge of people who were dying constantly, and the only way to stop them and to guarantee their safety was to end a war, I would be looking for the quickest way to do this as effectively as possible and being handed a literal super weapon that in theory could do that as much as, yeah, you're right. We don't really get to sympathize with him because they make him kind of feel villainy. Almost like he's, he's putting, yeah, I mean, he's putting his soldiers and his victory above the safety of Aang and Aang's friends. But that seems like a logical move given the position he's been put in. It does. Uh, Like, I don't think he's in the right, and I think the show makes it very clear that he's not in the right, but I think they do a good job of sort of saying, well, this is his motivation, and they do it in such a short period of time, because really, he's there for half the episode, he's there for maybe ten minutes, five, eight minutes, but... True, this is another one of our famous uh, decisive uh, split episodes. Yes, exactly. But, you know, you know enough about him that you know where he's coming from. And yeah, he's sort of deceiving. He's, he's sort of really appealing to the emotion. It's really the first time we see this. You know, we see the effects of war throughout the first book in just sort of the townspeople who are left behind, but we're actually mm-hmm. seeing, to a larger soldiers, extent, soldiers yeah, coming, coming back, back. Injured, wounded, and some not coming back at all. I mean... Yeah. Yeah. This is, this is when they, I feel like book two gets a bit more of this. They start to really show the impact of war and the impact it has on the people. Um, as made again very obvious in the other half of this episode uh, the Zuko storyline yes yes exactly Actually, no, I'm thinking more episode 2 but we'll get back there <laughs> yeah well like you said it's one of the one of your splits uh, one mm-hmm. of your split episodes so where, while um, while Aang is dealing with sort of the Avatar state uh, we learn that first of all it's the anniversary of Zuko's banishment three years and we also learned that there is a new player. We sort of saw her at the end of last, the last book. And but we it's... officially get our introduction to Princess Azula, Zuko's older sister. And right away we know that she is not to be messed with. She is ruthless. She, within the she first 30 seconds... bending light. Yeah. Within the first 30 seconds of screen time, she was threatening to kill her captain. Um, yeah. And... That, that entire speech is just so, like... Yeah. I get what you're going for, but you understand he's still saying that the like physically impossible thing is physically impossible, right? It just I think it just gives an insight into her character. She is determined. She will stop at nothing. Mm-hmm. Um she is a perfectionist. You know, with the lightning bending, oh only one hair out of place. Hair out of place. She's like, oh, it needs to be well, perfect. Even those two old women like twin trainers are, like, expecting perfection of her, which I think does help develop her character a bit as well. Yeah, so we just learned that her standards for herself are very high, and that probably comes from who her father is. Oh, Um, gee, you think? (laughs) (laughs) And I think those standards raised even higher for her, especially after Zuko got banished and he was seen as a disappointment. So, okay, well, here's my daughter, the only child I have left who can redeem me and and mm-hmm. and make me proud well i gotta just up those even higher and anyway i'm not trying to make her out to be a tragic hero uh not yet at least we're just meeting her 
Uh, yeah. But we can tell she's ruthless. She's very talented. And she is coming mm-hmm. for Zuko and Iroh uh, with quite the force. Iroh, who, by the way, is in full vacation mode after the last episode and I think is amazing. Yeah, Iroh seems very content to, to sort of live out his days in the Earth Kingdom. Um, and we see this in the first two episodes. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, he's going to stick with Zuko. He's going to protect him. He's going to accompany him. But Iroh just seems more, more than content to sort of smell the roses and maybe smell it too closely, uh, as we see in the next episode. But pretty much just... Sorry, I just, Iroh in this episode was really good. He's really amazing. He has a great few moments in the fight later on. Yes, he does. Um, but yeah, we obviously get the vacation Iroh trying to calm Zuko down about everything and convince him that there's still a chance that his father... And what the line he says is the your father wouldn't banish you. Your father would only banish you if he cared. Yeah. Something to that effect. And it's like, uh, yeah, that came out wrong. Sorry. <laughs> like, he even right away goes, yeah, that was not what I meant to say. Yeah, a um, little bit. And then, of course, somehow they did not notice Azula sitting in the room with them for the first, like, minute of this conversation. Yeah. And uh, Who, so... Uh, yeah, ma- she makes her, her, her presence known very well. She does, and... Obviously, she gives the, the, the quote-unquote news that their father is ready to see him again. He wants them yep. back. He forgives them. And Zuko <laughs> wants to be true so bad. It's, it's sad. It's sad I think almost. it's interesting how he, like, he goes, like, so doubtful to so, like, pensive to so accepting. Like, it really is, it displays his character so well now that I'm reflecting on it, mm-hmm. of he is someone who has been tossed around and had to fend for himself for so long that he doesn't believe that this could happen to him. Then there is the contemplation of the, what does this really mean? Is this what I really want? Is this what I'm really supposed to be doing? The really like thought-provoking side of him. And yeah. then there's still the side of him that's a kid who's hopeful, who wants his family and his father back. That he's willing to just believe it even though he doubts it. Exactly. I think, yeah, I don't know if he ever 100% believed that what Azula told him was true, but he wanted it to be true. Mm-hmm. And even when Iroh sort of presented him with doubt, and with very reasonable doubt, because yes, we don't know the Fire Lord very well, but this definitely doesn't seem like something in character. Zuko turns a bit on his uncle and sort of yes. calls him names, and, and Iroh, of course, still comes with him. and. He wants to protect Zuko above all else. But oh, yeah. yeah. It, you see the entire... I mean, like they, they don't hide it, but that entire mo- scene, like, getting to the ship. It's just Iroh, like, second-guessing and looking out for every little detail. Iroh is wise. He just oh, acts Iroh a fool sometimes. Iroh is also a badass in the ensuing fight scene when the ship's captain stupidly says the word prisoner out loud. Like yeah, if the tides didn't, uh, if the tides thing didn't get him killed, this might, this might have. <laughs> yeah. Oh my, he he is dead. <laughs> I'm sure half that crew gets murdered by her. Um, no, we then get a really interesting fight scene. We get a really amazing moment, and I really like the way. I feel like it's a reveal to Zuko that she's bending lightning. Like this is a skill. I think they even bring it up later on how dangerous of a skill it is and how difficult yes. it is to master. And obviously he doesn't know about it, but there's that moment where right before she does fire lightning in him where he's like, 
something's off, something feels different. Mm-hmm. And then there's the like last second reaction and the bolt missing him. Yeah. And then Iro for the rescue with the grabbing her hands and redirecting the lightning away into a wall. That is badass. Yeah, I think I think Zuko probably knew lightning bending was a thing. I just don't know if he realized that his sister was capable of it. Oh yeah, no, I feel like he just he understands like, oh yeah, it's this mythical thing only some people can do, and it's super difficult. And oh, never mind. And then here he is watching his sister, who is just perfect in every way, and the better everything that he can do, she can. And here she is doing something incredibly powerful and talented. Yeah, well, exactly, and then. Then we get to the end of this episode, I think, and, and it's sort of two different things, right? Aang finally does get into the Avatar state, albeit after General Fong has buried Katara alive. Yeah. Um, and while that's happening, that's when Avatar Roku shows up. And yes, and gives our little Avatar lesson with some cool visuals of other Avatars, which is kind of a nice little treat. Yeah. Oh yes, very, I really like seeing that. We learn what the Avatar state sort of is, what its manifestation mm-hmm. is, and we get some foreshadowing. Yeah. Oh, you're very vulnerable when you're in the Avatar state. If you are killed... You would end the line of Avatar. Why am I bringing this up? Hmm. 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 But that's not a problem, right? It'll never come up in the future again. Bye! Never. never. <laughs> Ghost leave! Just, just mentioning this for no reason. Don't worry. <laughs> but, That's ominous and foreshadowing. What? No. Yeah. Obviously, this this will come into play later. But it, it's the idea is that I think the Avatar State is meant to sort of be this this very tedious, very not tedious. There is very treacherous, very very precarious balance. Sort of really on the pure edge of power, but also control. And a loss of either one, and Aang is incredibly, incredibly vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And I think that's sort of the message that's trying to come across in, in Ruka's little insight for him. Yeah. But overall, we get ourselves an amazing first episode for a new season. They don't really beat around the bush. We're like, it, it doesn't really feel like we had, we had a big season finale, so it's hard to say, like, okay, now they're going to the Earth Kingdom. What could they really do to start a season off that would match the epicness of the last season? Which is always a tough place to start. So let's start with an Avatar state, some cool information, and some really intense moments, uh, ultimately ending off with Zuko and Iroh cutting off their, uh, their, their ponytails and denouncing the kingdom. Yeah, I was hoping, uh, I was going to mention that uh, toward, like right now, but yeah. that is definitely symbolic. It's sort of the beginning of they're distancing themselves from the Fire Nation. They're not. They're mm-hmm. not distanced yet. There's still, there's still a part of them that, uh, or at least, sorry, not the Fire Nation in general, but this current Fire Nation regime. Mm-hmm. And they're they're not totally severed from it, but it's it's the beginning of a of a turn. And no, it's a, it's just a, it's a nice little closing of the episode. We kind of get. Again, like you said, it's the first real steps in the Zuko development story. This is his first big step in the new, in the new direction. Yeah, but it's also a need to go into hiding, right? They're being hunted mm-hmm. now. They know they're being hunted. And yeah. self-preservation. But luckily, Zuko's removed his, cle- his classic, iconic ponytail. 
There was nothing else indistinguishable. He, he looks like every <laughs> other man alive. No one will ever tell it's him. Yeah. Yeah, he just looks like a common man. Yeah, no no, no indistinguishable features you could ever think of with him. Yeah, but uh, oh, no, God. it's a good way that I, I liked how that ended. I, yeah, uh, it's a very it nice a, ending. I make fun, but it's a very nice ending. It was a good first episode just to sort of set some, some themes in place. Obviously, the Avatar state comes into play. Uh, Zuko and Iroh being being refugees, being fugitives, being chased. Azula coming in now as sort of a major antagonist. Um, and obviously we're going to get into some earthbending very soon. Oh, Not yet, but soon. Pretty good. We actually are about to go into a new episode, which I True. can't decide if I like or dislike. Ah, yes, okay. The Cave of Two Lovers. I'll read the, I'll read the synopsis. I'll just read go right on. ahead. Book two, episode two, Cave of Two Lovers. While on the way to Omashu, Aang and the crew meet a group of traveling bards who take them through a vast tunnel known as the Cave of Two Lovers. In the cave, Aang, Katara, and Appa become separated from Sokka and the bards. Elsewhere, Zuko and Iroh are sheltered by kind people after Iroh accidentally drinks the tea <laughs> from a poisonous plant. Song, a young and compassionate healer, shows Zuko the effects of war from a normal citizen's perspective. May I begin by saying, I had no idea they gave any of the characters in that village a name. And here we have Song with a link to character bio, which I'm, a little, I'm actually going to click on. I'm curious if why they would do this. Uh, as far as I know, she only shows up in this episode. Yeah, literally the page goes to a blank page. It's an error. Weird. She, she has a purpose, and we'll get into that. Obviously, the, the best part of the episode is the nomads. They're obviously just a clear take on the the modern hippie yeah literally peace love my my first note in this episode is oh a romance episode second note ah the stoners are here <laughs> i i just i mean i have a not the beginning but a little bit down in my notes i just have secret tunnel in all caps um, <laughs> I, I have secret <laughs> dot 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 tunnel secret tunnel <laughs> oh my it's, god they're so they're so, so good this episode is definitely a bit more filler, but there's interesting stuff here. There's I mean, interesting stuff here. So if you were to exclude, I think the more interesting part of this episode is Zuko's development and character building once again in meeting these healers, these Earth Villagers. There is so much to unpack there we're going to get to, and I want to save it. But I feel like if you took that out, this would be just below the Great Divide in useless episodes. With the, uh, exception, with the exception of... They have one moment in this episode that I think is quite nice. Yeah. And that is the history of earthbending with the two lovers. Yes, the history of earthbending with the two lovers. The, 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 the legend of... of the... Again, is it how earthbending really started? Is this just a famous myth or legend of how it started? But I love that kind of in-series lore. I love, love, love it. Right. And again, I found the bards really funny... And I found their songs really catchy. So as much as they were filler level, close mm -hmm. to the Great Divide, they were still much more enjoyable to be around. That's, that's the point I was going to make right there. Is that okay, at least yeah. in The Cave of Two Lovers, I liked the side <laughs> characters. Even though, yes, ultimately they're a little useless, I did not like the side <laughs> characters oh, in The Great little. Divide. I found them so irritating. I found yeah. them so irredeemable. Um, but the friggin' nomads, they actually taught Sokka a little lesson, you know? Enjoy the journey, <laughs> not just the destination. They had some great one-liners. 
They did. They have um, so many good one-liners. This is really like the writers had a chance just to write a bunch of dumb jokes. I'm really proud of them. I already know that the Secret Tunnel song is going to be in my head for the next like week. <laughs> I've been whistling it all day. <laughs> I'm going to go listen to it again. Uh, it's it's well done. It's just it's well done. Um, but <laughs> I'm crying I, about it. <laughs> I don't think there's a whole lot for me on the Ang and and them side. Like we get some Ang guitar moments and. You know, like I said, Sokka gets to learn a little bit of a lesson and self-actualization. We learn a bit of the history of earthbending. But I think the Zuko and Iroh storyline is a bit more interesting here. That's where there's actually some some development and some plot. Because obviously Iroh eats a poisonous flower. Yep. And this is when they decide they need to go to the Earth Kingdom and actually Or I can just eat these berries, that'll heal me. Or they'll make me go blind. (laughs) But, you know, obviously they have to decide between going to the Earth Kingdom, or going back to the Fire Nation. And again, and... a little bit of comedy with the whole, well, if we go back to the Fire Nation, they'll hand us to Azula. If we go to the Earth Nation, they'll kill us. Earth Nation it is. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and this is, what's interesting here, obviously, for me, is the big moment is, is when Song, the girl that takes Zuko and Iroh into her home with her mother, I believe, Shows Zuko that she is also scarred from the Fire Nation and her father has been lost. I think that's when Zuko really starts to get an experience at a personal level. I'm sure he's aware that this is what the war has done, but he's never actually interacted directly with with somebody. Personal level of how their life is due to this war, what they've lost due to this war, what the war has taken from them. It really is. And I feel like that's the, really the intent is to give us this eye-opening moment of like, look at Zuko realizing, I mean, feeling and empathizing. Definitely. I mean, he ultimately ends the episode by stealing their, their mount. I don't even know what to Chicken call horse. it. But Chicken horse. Yeah. Chicken horse. That's what uh, the soccer calls in the previous episode. Chicken horse. Sure. It's Chicken horse. Now. But we have, I think... We have bat wolves. We have chicken horses. We're good. <laughs> Badger Wolf badgers. Yeah. Badger wolves. Sorry, backwards. Yeah. This, I think this is the first episode we really get the final... the the. The, the two named animal things. I don't really get, get many of them up until this point. Yeah. Um, but even with that, even with that happening at the end, mm-hmm. he, it's the first beginning. You, you sort of saw how he reacted to that. I think there is that twing there, but, you know, it, it doesn't make sense to have it just be like, oh, I understand now. I must do good. I must, like, obviously you need the subtle, slow chipping away Especially yeah. someone who has such a strong personality that Zuko does. No, I definitely agree. Um, and I feel like, honestly, having at the very end, having her see them steal the chicken horse is just like, it's heartbreaking. It like, is. She really, like, she thought better of them. Like, oh, poor thing. And it, it, it really does. Like, I feel like we have to, it's like, it's, they, they do that to help us feel the way we're supposed to feel because I felt that way regardless and yes. having a character to empathize with made it easier but like you, you're like oh he's making strides he's actually being good and then oh he's still a jerk uh, a yeah. jerk mind you who grew hair overnight yeah he, I don't know how fast they grow hair down there but uh, in the fire Which, nation so this leads me to believe just totally gonna put this out there for fun now <laughs> that either a I, literally you see his hair it's like a perfectly shaved diamond and he cuts the hair off and it's like 
stole a bit of a ponytail, but it's that's all there is. And now he's got like full like five o'clock shadow across the head. So does that mean he was shaving his head every day? Possibly. Like that's intense, man. <laughs> like I mean, I guess it's ceremonial, right? Uh, I guess, but damn, like good for him. Um anyways, mm-hmm. hairy boy aside. Um, hairy boy aside. Uh, yeah, again, this episode is so well-focused. Like, I mean, there's not much to say besides what we, we've already covered. We get a lot of moments of them realizing what, the, you know, just dealing with what decision they've made, not being part of the Fire Nation anymore, renouncing their position a little bit, realizing that... I don't think they really say it out loud, but I think with the cutting of the hair last episode and they're escaping this episode, they've now realized that redeeming himself really isn't the right move anymore i think he begins to realize it but i think he's still vulnerable and there are moments where zuko still fails in that and i think he's still chasing the avatar because he still wants that chance i think he still believes that if he were to somehow come back with the avatar he will be redeemed. He will regain the love and affection of his father. But I think he also believes, there also is that part of him that knows that there is no chance of that happening. I think, yeah. I think he's beginning to realize that there is no going back. Mm-hmm. He does go back, but it, it's, it's here where it starts to sort of, even if you do go back, it's just not going to be what you think. No, and it does, it does a good job of, of emphasizing that. There's still like, I think I think the mother brings up the avatar, and he gets that like sour, like I know scour. Yeah. Um, which again, I feel like isn't just the I'm mad at him; it's the I'm still after him kind of feeling. Exactly, exactly. So I think there's still that part of Zuko that wants to believe that he can just get the avatar, bring him back, and all will go back to normal, but. You know, now now he's a refugee. Now he's a fugitive. Yeah. I think he won't want to believe it. I think Iroh's not going to sort of say that to him, but it's, he can't go back. It's not going to be the way it yeah. was. It's, it's never going to be that. Azula's no, hunting him to bring him back as a prisoner, not yeah. as a hero. Yeah, so. and there's, yeah, I mean, if they want you back as a prisoner, they're already kind of got their hearts set on what they want to do with you. So whether you come back as a prisoner on your own free will, you're basically screwed. Exactly. This is a, I mean, even in these two episodes, we get a good amount of content of Zuko, and we're starting to see there's more to his story. Like, as much as season one hinted at it, and we knew the foreshadowing side of things a bit because of our history with the show, yes. this is the first time we're really being given, here is the Zuko storyline. He's not just your antagonist anymore. He is a third player in this game who is against the other two sides, which are Avatar and the Fire Nation, which is now kind of being faced by Azula. Yeah, he's definitely still got a journey ahead of him. He's not mm-hmm. just going to be someone who is sort of a side character. I, I don't think he was ever built up to be a side character, but no, I think no. it really makes it clear that there is progression to happen and there is a, a destination to Zuko's character arc and story arc that we haven't even gotten close to yet. Um, and, and that's another reason that this episode is above the Great Divide, because Zuko wasn't mm-hmm. in the Great Divide at all. It was true, just true. 
I feel just, like if that episode had a bit of Zuko story with some emotion to it, it could have really helped it. But um, it just would have broken lesson, up. This episode was much better for it, and I yes. like this episode again. I I overall like this episode. I also yeah. like looking back, realized that it was just let's get the characters lost. Let's inject a tiny bit of Earthbender lore, some annoying one-liners and silly one-liners, and this really amazing Zuko and Iroh story stuff. Yeah. That all really meshed well into a really nice jambalaya of sorts. Uh, like you said, I found the bards really funny. I really found their humor good. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, the very end when she comments on, why is your forehead so red? And he's like, I think this is the Avatar. And he face, face palms again. Thus, you, oh, that's why. It's really funny. I like the end. So are you guys coming with us to Amashu? Nope. Okay, bye. No. <laughs> Just like, nope, we're done. We're one episode. We're over. Yeah. Um, I also really like... Um, just Appa getting out of the cave felt so like, oh, I'm so relieved for him. Yeah, I know. And then him and like Momo that. having a moment together, like, oh my god, I can't, like, just comforting each other and their little animal speak. I'm like, oh, they have emotions. They're cute. But and how does speaking the episode of emotions, end? Speaking of emotions, though, I guess we should quickly go over the whole they almost kiss, they don't kiss, Aang says the wrong thing, pisses her off, they almost kiss again, and then they don't because the lights come on. Yeah, it's a bit tropey, but uh Yeah, I know, but ugh, whatever. At the end of the day, we know where things twist. go. They, they took a different twist on it, right? Yeah, a which little is bit. Nice. But the ending of the episode is obviously what sort of stays poignant and they finally get to the other side, they finally get to Amashu only to find out it's been taken over. Fire Nation has taken over, they've left their flag up there, and we know that this is a full occupation now. This isn't just an attack, this is a, a victory. Yes, and remember, Aang was going to Amashu to learn earthbending from Boomy. Yes. And that, obviously, they're going to need to find Boomy somebody else. <laughs> Gee, I hope they can find someone else. Small, funny, really good one-liners. Maybe they're blind. I don't know, I'm just weird. Spitballing ideas here. It's a weird, that's a weird uh, distinction to make. <laughs> uh, well, we got a few good episodes coming up, because we still have to introduce... Uh, the next party member, which is something I'm always excited about in a show like this. Yeah, book two is really, for me, it's like the meat of the whole series. It's really when things start getting in motion, and obviously we get some more characters, we get some really good development. Book three is when it all sort of comes to a climax, but book two is, I'd say book two... It's a really strong one. Like, I mean, would, what am I saying? Book, book two, book one is your amuse-bouche introducing you to the meal. Book yes. two is the hearty steak in the middle with all the great flavor. And book three is the cheese course and dessert. Yes. Huh. Yes, uh, sure. Yes, let's go with that. That, that works. I'm, I might be hungry, it turns out. Maybe. It sounds <laughs> like you might be. Yeah, I got a snack upstairs. Um... But yeah, uh, no, overall, uh, again, I think we, we've summarized already, but very, very fun episode, despite having parts that otherwise might have not worked. I yes. think the the fact that we had another story made the characters that would have been annoying less, less the focus, thus allowing them to be funnier when they were on screen. Uh, we got to have some fun moments. I really did enjoy that cool, the animation style they use as well when uh, Katara is reading the history of the... Uh, the two lovers and how their mm-hmm. name uh, Oma and Shu make the name of the ta- uh, the the, the city uh, Omashu. It's um, 
it's nice when a show or a piece of content like this can explain lore, whether it be super relevant to the story or just really interesting world building. I always enjoy that. I agree. I figured you would comment on the uh, on the animation side of it, so I left it to you. Uh, Thank you. I think this is a bit of a shorter episode that we've done, but that's okay. Yeah, that's okay. Again, episode one we had a lot to talk about. Episode two, really, I mean, we had the. It, it's a pretty it's a pretty light episode as far as content goes. Like even my notes were literally just stoners, the song, lo- secret tunnels, funny, and then a bunch of interesting stuff about uh, Zuko. I would, wa- I would not skip over this episode if you're doing, like, an express... Well, I don't know why you would be doing, like, an express viewing, but I wouldn't skip over this episode. It's, Agreed. It, Agreed. There's important stuff here, and even the stuff that's less important is... It's fun. Like, secret, exactly. Everyone knows the Secret Tunnel song. It's great. Secret Tunnel. <laughs> um, but, yeah. I think a great start to the season, and it's going to pave the way for, yeah. for, for the rest of the ride. No, I'm very excited for some more episode watching. 100%. So once again, we welcome any criticism, feedback, follow-up, compliments, insults, preferably compliments, um, which you can do on Twitter, at BoxLessThought for me. At, at Ryan W. And again, uh, if you want to share anything else, any comments you want to bring up, I don't care if it was from 18 episodes ago. If you have something worth sharing, we want to share it. Let yeah. us help spread the word of how good the show is and what other things you've discovered that we may have missed. Because even if we don't necessarily share it, we're going to be excited to know about it. And we may just get back to you on Twitter and be like, oh my God, and just DM back and forth for days. Yeah, I'll nerd out with you. 100%. Oh, hell yes. <laughs> so I wish all of our listeners, our, our, our ear benders, a ear lovely benders. night, a good evening, a good morning, a good day, whatever it is you're doing and having Dusk, a being. Dawn. Twilight, real world, spirit world. Afternoon tea. Mmm, tea. Hope it's not poison. Bye.